Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Monday, May 11th, 2020. On today's episode, we're going to talk about the latest film and TV news. This is Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Soretta, and joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film Weekend Editor, Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. And writer, Chris Vanderlista. Hello, folks. Okay, let's get into some news that hit last week that we didn't get to. This is some big Star Wars news. It looks like Boba Fett may have survived. Return of the Jedi. Uh, we have some casting news from The Mandalorian Season 2. Brad, tell us about it. Yes, uh, it would seem we will see uh, everyone's favorite bounty hunter making a comeback in the second season of The Mandalorian. Uh, because Tamara Morrison, the actor who portrayed uh, Jango Fett in the Star Wars prequels, uh, and the character that essentially becomes Boba Fett because Boba Fett is a clone of Jango Fett, uh, is returning. And it'll be... Interesting to see how, since uh, Boba Fett survived in the original stories that followed the Star Wars trilogy in uh, various books and comics that are now considered Star Wars legends and thus not part of the official canon. So we don't have any official idea as to how Boba Fett survived falling into uh, the Great Pit of Carcoon where the Sarlacc uh, chewed him up and was meant to digest him over a thousand years. So uh, at some point in... um, the the year since he got out and apparently has survived uh that's the what hollywood reporter is saying um there's there's a slight chance i guess that maybe he's not coming back as boba fett maybe wires got crossed or they're making an assumption one would assume that they know what they're talking about they're usually pretty good with with stories like this especially when it's a scoop but there's also the chance that we could see tomorrow morrison reprising his role as captain rex from the clone wars uh in a live action capacity uh it's another character that uh, is very close to Dave Filoni's heart, something that he uh, created and has a big part in the animated series. And with the uh, upcoming return of Ahsoka Tano in live-action form, uh, the story that we broke a little while back, it would make sense if Captain Rex was also involved in the second season of The Mandalorian as well. Dave Filoni bring back his own characters in his subsequent series? That, that, that makes no sense, Brad. He would never Shocking. do that. Shocking. It's shocking. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah I'm, I'm very curious to see how this plays out because 
Boba Fett is not really a Mandalorian, so I, although he is the most famous Mandalorian uh, because he wears the Mandalorian armor, and uh, you know, during season one of the Mandalorian, a lot of people were theorizing that Boba Fett would show up, but I'm just not sure how he fits into the story. Like where th- there was a scene in season one of the Mandalorian where one of the characters gets taken out, and we see these like. Uh, I guess cowboy boots with spurs or something, and a lot of people were speculating that that could be Boba Fett. I think th- I think it was pretty clear from that, especially because I believe you hear the same sound uh, when Moff Gideon arrives that that was Moff Gideon in that scene and not Boba Fett. I don't know. That was on Tatooine, Brad. You don't know, uh, but we're, we're gonna have to wait to find out. Uh, I think that they're. I don't know. It, it's interesting. Like Brad, you are a big Star Wars fan. Uh, as am I. Uh, what what kind of role do you think if Boba Fett is actually alive and he's in the Mandalorian? What kind of role can he play in the future of the series? Uh, I mean, you know, he's he's still a bounty hunter at heart. You know, that's how he was introduced. He was tasked by the Empire along with a bunch of other bounty hunters to track down Han Solo and the Millennium Falcon, and so he could very well just be back to doing the job that he did, you know, so many years ago. Uh, he's would obviously be, um, you know, not too much older from when we last saw him. And so if he survives, then there's no reason to think that he wouldn't just get back to business and, you know, doing the dirty work that anyone pays him for. That would just be so weird that the Mandalorian runs into him as just like another bounty hunter. Well, I guess there there's the whole, like, I guess, cultural appropriation angle because he is a clone wearing a Mandalorian armor and maybe that is looked down upon. And by Mandalorians in the Star Wars universe, so maybe there's that that's a reason for there to be a dramatic struggle. Yeah, probably, and um, I think there's also the intriguing aspect of maybe potentially if he does uh, Tamora Morrison does end up playing Captain Rex, of maybe we get to see Boba Fett interact with Captain Rex, so we have a a clone on clone conversation, or maybe even a, a face off of some kind. Yeah, for sure, because. Like, Boba Fett was a clone, but Jango Fett was his father, correct? Well, was... he he was his, like, surrogate father. Like, surrogate Boba, father, Boba, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, like, it was he's basically taking care of a younger version of himself. Yeah, so it, it, it's kind of weird. It, it would be interesting to have that conversation between Rex and Boba Fett, because now you have him talking to, I guess, a version of himself, but also a version of his father, also, I wonder if there was ever a point when Boba Fett, after he grew up, started looking in the mirror and thinking, man, I look exactly like my father. <laughs> uh, probably. Okay. <laughs> Let's move on from this. Let's talk about some other stuff. Let's, uh, you know, this whole world is crazy. Movie theaters are all closed. But internationally, they're trying to revive the movie theaters. I know in South Korea, they have this idea for contact-free movie theaters. Chris, how, how does that plan work? Yeah, so they're testing this out in South Korea, and uh, this is this is kind of wild. So here is a, a direct quote from the article this originated in. <clears throat> to accommodate local audiences' growing fear of physical contact with strangers, including cinema staff, the exhibitor giant replaced its human staff with AI robots, automated kiosks, and mobile app services. Cinema goers no longer need to encounter a human staff member to reserve, pick up, or scan their tickets. Snack bars have been replaced with LED-controlled pickup boxes, which deliver food items through uh, the, the the app that's associated with this theater chain. So, 
They're, they're they're testing this out in in a bunch of big theaters in South Korea. Uh, that's not to say America <laughs> is going to do this. I honestly can't picture America doing this, but uh, you know, you never know. It, it might happen. AI robots. You know, we always assumed that the robot uprising would be because we created these like AI robots for like war. But maybe it's because of this pandemic. We created all these AI robots to, you know, run the registers and stuff. That's right. And they're, the they're popcorn gonna... robots that killed us all. Yeah, they're going to kill us all. I will say this. I did go over the weekend. I'll talk about this on the water cooler later this week. But I did go back to, to, to Knott's Berry Farm to buy some products that we're reviewing on Ordinary Adventures. Um, and because the, they have their berry marketplace is open and it's interesting how this place works like they don't have I mean there are cast members there are employees there like to help you but you are basically it's almost like self-checkout you're ringing yourself up you're putting the stuff in a bag you are putting your credit card in like the the person behind the counter is just there in case you need them <laughs> and there's just like a big you know screen in front of them so I'm wondering if you know, AI robots could be the future of kind of like these more, I guess, menial uh, jobs where it's just like, I mean, you know, <laughs> I'm sure we all probably worked retail at some point in our life. I, you know, had a long career in retail before uh, Slash Home and ringing people up is really like the the worst job ever. It's like the most repetitive, and basically you could do it yourself. I mean, most Targets and CVSs are kind of trying to replace the registers with, you know, people to be able to do self-checkout. Uh, I mean, but the problem is some people just aren't smart enough to do that. So I guess why not replace all of the, uh, all these cashiers and, and people with contactless uh, AI robots? I mean, <laughs> the, the reason <laughs> to not do that is it'll rob people of their jobs i guess but yeah i I don't i don't know but theoretically those people could then be positioned into better jobs no i don't know theoretically theoretically yeah in in real life they'll probably just be fired yeah yeah okay so i guess the question is you know that is south korea how how is the other countries and other parts of this world planning to deal with the coronavirus well, we have some uh, news from a few places. Um, the Netherlands, they're hoping to reopen uh, June 1st, and they're mandating that uh, only 30 attendees can be allowed in uh, the venue. And there also needs to be uh, a social distance of 1.5 meters between each moviegoer. Uh, Germany is sort of taking a similar thing, although they're hoping certain German theaters are hoping to reopen uh, May 30th, but again, they're doing uh, social distancing and all that stuff. Um, Australia is sort of following America's lead in that they're, they're hoping for July. And uh, one thing I thought was really interesting about this roundup is um, after the uh, 1979 Islamic revolution in Iran, uh, drive-in theaters were banned because they didn't like the idea of uh, potentially unmarried young couples being together in a car like that. But in uh, light of recent events, they actually reopened, well, not really reopened, they, they built a brand new drive-in theater in Iran. Uh, it, they basically converted a parking lot into a drive-in theater. So that's. I just thought that was interesting that you know they, they banned these back in 1979, and now in, because of the coronavirus, they decided to uh, lift that ban at least in in one location. So 
make of that what you will. That is crazy. It'll be crazy if we come out of all this and the the biggest change in cinema is that it, we're now in, you know, everything's been turned into drive-in theaters. Yeah. So. <laughs> but, um, okay, let's talk about the U.S. for a second here. We know that the first big film scheduled to hit theaters is Christopher Nolan's Tenant. But right. I guess the question we've been talking about off and on on this podcast is like, is this really going to open in mid-July? So there's not an official answer yet. As of now, the film is still set for its July 17th release date. However, um, a new report in Variety indicates that uh, Warner Brothers and the powers that be are going to make a final decision sometime in the next week as in this like this story broke last week so we'll probably find out maybe by the end of this week and the reason for that is if it really is going to open in july they have to start you know ramping up marketing now like they have to kick back into the marketing push and uh, obviously they don't want to do that and spend that money if the it's really not going to open in july so uh there's going to be a decision very very soon about whether or not this is going to open on july 17th Another thing we've been talking about is conventions, big conventions. San Diego Comic-Con is no longer happening, but is it? It might be happening, but it's not just ha- it's not happening in San Diego. It's happening everywhere at home. Brad, what do we know? Um, not much other than the fact that there will be some kind of at-home edition of Comic-Con that will be happening sometime this summer. Uh, over the weekend, San Diego Comic-Con made an official announcement with Uh, A cheeky video teasing that uh, everyone can enjoy Comic-Con with free parking, comfortable seating, no waiting in lines, uh, your own snacks, and even your pets can attend. Uh, And so there's no details as far as uh, what kind of panels there will be, who will be involved, or anything like that. Um, So there's no telling if there'll be any, like, presentations from uh, blockbuster movies that are coming. You know, uh, obviously they've been delayed, but movies like Wonder Woman 1984... And uh, Black Widow and the Eternals are still on the way. So there's a chance that maybe they'll be able to have some kind of virtual panel and they'll release footage online. A lot of times, most of the stuff that is teased at, uh, in Hall H at Comic-Con nowadays usually goes online officially pretty quickly. Um, Marvel is usually the only one that holds some exclusive footage back. Um, but it's not hard to do this stuff virtually. And it would give everyone a, a chance to see all the stuff and be excited. And, you know, uh, as we saw with WonderCon being canceled, they still ended up releasing, you know, some of the exclusives that were meant to be sold at the convention. They had a a big promotion of a lot of artwork from the artists who are usually in Artists Alley selling stuff. So I assume we'll see some similar stuff from this. But otherwise, we're kind of just waiting in the wings to see uh, what's going to happen with this at home edition. Yeah, I wonder if this is just going to be like some of those smaller like fan panels where like, you know, people that run podcasts and you know, write books, like kind of have like these smaller panels or if it's if Hollywood's going to get involved here. Like I'm sure San San Diego Comic-Con International is losing out on a lot of money uh, because of the cancellation. So, you know, part part of the way they make their money is Hollywood actually buys those slots in Hall H and Ballroom 20 and stuff like that. Uh, I'm wondering if studios would, number one, be willing to show the footage online to everybody and number two, maybe there's the reason to do it because maybe Comic-Con needs their help and this is the way that they could help Comic-Con. I, I don't think like, you know, anybody wants to see Comic-Con going away. I, I think what I'm most interested in is seeing 
how this involves like all the like little artists and publishers. Like you mentioned that like there was kind of like an artist alley for WonderCon, but I think that was like more fan created. Was that like done officially through WonderCon? I'm not uh, quite sure. I thought it was like yeah, uh, I'm not sure either. I, I could have sworn that maybe they like brought attention to it, at least something yeah. like that. Maybe maybe it was fan organized. But I know that like a lot of the uh, the art galleries and stuff like that, who usually have like exclusive prints on sale at Comic Con, they they also sold stuff through uh, you know their own channels and still released it even though they weren't happening at the convention. Yeah, it it would be cool if they actually had a virtual artist alley where you could go and discover all these uh, artists and stuff like that because that that that's like one of my favorite parts of Comic Con and uh, it's going to be solely I'm gonna I'm gonna be sorely missing it this year. Uh, but okay, let's talk about uh, some exciting news. National Treasure might be getting a TV series on Disney Plus. Chris, tell us about it. Well, don't get too excited because there's a catch. But yes, so not only is there a National Treasure 3 being developed, a a movie, uh, they're also developing a National Treasure TV show for Disney Plus. But here is the catch. The TV show is going to feature uh, a younger cast of characters. So it's basically like National Treasure Jr. And... Uh, uh, you know, really, what makes National Treasure? Wait, wait, wait! One, how, how how young, Chris? Like, are, are we talking about like early twenties or? No, I, I, it's like kids, not like you know, oh, not no. like babies, but like you know, tweens and you know, teens and stuff like that. And you know, National Treasure, the first movie is is so much fun. But what makes the movie the most fun is Nicolas Cage. And if you're gonna do a, a National Treasure without Nicolas Cage, I don't know what the point is. I mean, I guess they could get him to like cameo every now and then he can be like, what's up younger treasure hunters. But I, you know, I want, I want to see him hunting the treasure. I don't want to see a bunch of, you know, kids doing it. I want to see a series like where in the world is Carmen San Diego where Nicholas Cage hosts it and they're trying to track down national treasures. All right. That'd be good. Yeah. Especially if they brought that, uh, the band, what were they called? Rockapella. Rockapella. Yeah, Rock of Rockapella. <laughs> they come in and sing the National Treasure song. I would watch that. There you go. Uh, well, but you do say that there is a third National Treasure movie still in the works. Is that just like, you know, lip service? Because we've been hearing that for what? Well, the last decade or something. I mean, well, uh, yeah, they've been talking on and off about it for the last decade. But recently, um, we learned that the co-writer of Bad Boys for Life is working on the new script. And this new interview was with uh, Jerry Bruckheimer, who produces the series. And he confirmed again that they are going to make that movie, or they're hoping to make that movie. But, however, he also added that the TV show is further along than the movie. Like, they already have a pilot written and they already have a bunch of uh, other episodes planned out. So we're probably going to see the show before the movie, which is a bummer, but yeah. you know, I'm just going to hold out hope for that third film. I, I didn't think we needed a door of the Explorer version of national treasure, but apparently we do. So as long uh, as, I hope that there's a kid who is doing like a Nicholas cage impression. Oh, that would be great. Actually, if it was like a prequel and it was like, it was supposed to be like young Nick cage. That'd be amazing. Jacob Tremblay is Nicolas Cage in <laughs> National Treasure Jr. What, what if they used the Marvel de-aging technology to make, like, you know, that a would be 12-year-old Nicolas Cage, and he plays himself. And, and he still has, like, the same adult voice he has now. If they don't change it at all, I, I, would, I would absolutely watch that. 
Okay. Let's talk about community. We've been talking about community recently on the water cooler. And, you know, this show is long gone, but apparently a movie might be in the works. Brad, would we know? Yeah. So for the longest time when community was on and there was worry about whether or not it would even get renewed for new seasons, the, the big, uh, promotional campaign for it was hashtag six seasons and a movie and we got our six seasons but everyone keeps asking whether or not a movie is going to happen and it seems like since it's been so long uh since that happened that it wasn't in the cards but apparently uh since community arrived on uh netflix and hulu again there's been renewed discussions and renewed interest in making that movie happen uh dan Harmon, who is the executive producer on community uh who had a, a tenuous relationship with nbc about it for a while left the series came back uh recently talked about this in support of the upcoming community virtual table read they're doing on may 18th uh, and he said quote i can tell people for sure that the enthusiasm for community uh both for all this time and the resurgence of it there's always been an aspect of that that affects the marketplace. When the marketplace gets affected, conversations happen. When conversations happen, things happen. Um, when you're part of the community family, you learn never to raise expectations, keep them nice and low, and then be pleasantly surprised. So I can say that there are conversations happening that people would want to be happening, and that I'm very, very excited about the coming months. So uh, he's not necessarily saying that there's definitely um, a community movie happening, but it sounds like they are maybe in the very early stages of trying to get one off the ground. How would that even work? Because they're so much older now. I mean, I'm sure they can come up with some meta, funny, you know, self-aware reason to, to do it. You know, community is all about uh, doing those kinds of concepts and jokes. So there's there's no you know reason to think that Dan Harmon doesn't have a funny way to explain that. <laughs> they all have to go back to school because some like technicality in their their degrees, and that they're all at the same community college. I don't know. Yeah. Something like that, I guess. I guess you don't really need uh, anything that too believable. Okay, let, let's talk about Scream. Uh, Scream is a series of horror films that I really love. I Scream 1 is probably one of my favorite horror films, just probably just because of the time I saw it in my life. And stuff like that. Uh, they've been talking a lot about making another Scream movie, Scream 5. Uh, Chris, is it going to finally happen? Uh, yeah, so Scream 5 is definitely um, in development right now. Um, we, we knew that part, uh, and now everyone was wondering what this sequel is going to be. Is it going to be a, a straight-up sequel? Is it going to be a reboot? What? And uh, now we've learned that Nev Campbell, who of course starred in all uh, four of the Scream films, has been in um, conversations with the directors of the new film. Um, they're the same two guys who directed uh, Ready or Not, which is a really great uh, indie horror film from last year and yeah she you know she doesn't confirm anything is like finalized yet but she says like they've definitely had those conversations uh things are you know obviously on pause at the moment because of you know the coronavirus but it seems pretty clear that the filmmakers really want her to be in in the film in some capacity so fingers crossed that that happens because it, it would seem it would be really weird if this wasn't a rebate reboot to have a, a screen movie without at least Nev Campbell in it, like she seems to be the, she's like the glue that holds the series together. So it would be great to have her back. Now I, I know you're a fan of the scream series or at least the original scream, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh yeah. I like pretty much all of them. Yeah. Would you like, what would you like to see happen? Would you like to see her brought in for like a scene or two? And she's kind of like just a 
setting up this world because obviously like you know things have happened in this world with this these ghost face killers and people trying to copycat that and you know there's obviously ways you could bring her in there or would you like to see her be more of a central character i mean i personally would like her to have a somewhat big part i would really hate it if i have like a a terrible feeling they're going to try and do the thing where they make her the Drew Barrymore of the film where like they kill her off in the, in the, the prologue. And that would just seem really like wrong to me just cause like she's, she survived this long and had, just to, like have her like die immediately in the fifth <laughs> film would be like a cheap, but I just, I just know someone has brought that uh... up somewhere. Like, would it be cool and meta if she didn't? So that's all I'm hoping doesn't happen beyond that. I'll, I'll leave it in their, their capable hands. I just, you know, n- not to knock Nev Campbell, but it's not like she has like a ton of stuff going on. So I'm I'm sure she'll be happy to be back in whatever capacity they want her back in. How would you feel if they did that with her? But then sh- it's it's a ruse, and she turns out to be the killer. <laughs> I mean, sure, <laughs> that's fine. All right, let's do that instead. It's it's cool throwing out all the her life trying to take down these ghost face killers uh as, as long as she's still alive and she turns out to be the killer but it's not exactly. cool the killer yes she's exactly had, she's had enough she's had enough yeah <laughs> okay uh speaking of had enough let's let's talk about the batman uh we're learning that this what version does that of, mean <laughs> i don't know it was, it was a bad it was a bad segue and you called me on it brad i don't know i don't know uh no i i, I guess we've all had enough of the Zack snyder dceu am i right there, there, there it is now we're gonna be in trouble <laughs> no uh but I, I, I don't know this is interesting because we are learning that matt reeves the batman might be a darker version of this character which to me seems insane because it wasn't the Zack snyder version pretty dark brad tell us about it Yes. Um, so obviously the Batman is in production right now. Uh, all, you know, big Hollywood movies and TV shows are shut down until the coronavirus pandemic is a little more under control. Um, but that hasn't kept Andy Serkis from talking a little bit about working on the movie. Uh, he's playing a new version of Alfred in the movie. And he recently had an interview uh, with uh, LAD Bible uh, to talk about the Batman. And he revealed that he's roughly halfway done shooting, so he still has a good amount of work to do. Uh, but he talked a bit about what fans can expect, and uh, he was asked if the Batman we'll see, played by Robert Pattinson, will be darker and broodier. And Circus confirmed, saying, quote, I would say that's not far from the truth. Uh, it's very much about the emotional connection between Alfred and Bruce. That's really at the center of it, and it is a really exquisite script that Matt has written. So, uh, previously... Uh, in the Dark Knight trilogy, Christopher Nolan made Alfred a lot more of a full-fledged character in Bruce Wayne's life. He, uh, when we saw Alfred in the other movies uh, directed by Tim Burton and Joel Schumacher, he um, he was a nice presence, but he offered more so like quips and one-liners and kind of saccharine advice, you know, to to Bruce Wayne. But Michael Caine really fle- um, had the character fleshed out and brought a little bit more weight and gravitas uh, to that role. But it sounds like the, the same thing will be done with Andy Serkis's version of the character. I imagine since we're going to see a Batman that is younger and uh, still not fully experienced uh, in the role of being, you know, this vigilante, that Alfred's role will be 
uh, good as a mentor and sort of keeping his head in the right space and that kind of thing. So, uh, yeah, that's pretty much all, all he had to say uh, about it. It's, you know, it's uh, still early to even be talking about the Batman. It, it just got pushed back from June of next year to October. So it'll be a while before we even see much more officially about it, especially with no idea of when production is going to start back up again. It would be interesting to see the Alfred uh, Bruce Wayne relationship explored in greater depth. I, you know, I, I feel like we've seen that kind of mentor mentee a little bit in some of the some of the things that we've seen so far, but we we haven't really seen Alfred as a surrogate father figure, and I feel like that might be an area that Matt Reeves could explore with us. So yeah, I mean, I think we got some of that with with Michael Caine, but yeah, we haven't really seen the yeah those, I guess those earlier years Early, when that yeah. would have happened. Yeah. There, there were there were still some of that in Batman Begins, but. Um, yeah, I don't know. Maybe it'll just be more, more, even more prominent this time. Yeah. So, who, who would have thought the Batman is going to be a brooding uh, buddy road trip adventure movie? Right? No. Uh, sure. I'm. Well, let's do it. <laughs> okay. Our final for- story for today is Stephen King's revival is becoming a movie. I don't even know this book. Chris, tell us about it. Uh, this is a good book. It's one of his uh, Stephen King's more recent books. It came out in 2014, and uh, some of his 21st century books are, are kind of hit and miss. But this one is is pretty damn good. And uh, uh, Mike Flanagan, who of course directed uh, Doctor Sleep and also Gerald's Game, which is another Stephen King adaptation, is um, writing the script and likely going to direct the film version for Warner Brothers, which is kind of cool because I was worried um, Dr. Sleep was a Warner Brothers movie too, and it, it did not do well at the box office. And I was worried that might hurt future King adaptations, but apparently not because not only are they not upset about that, they're more than happy to work with Mike Flanagan again. And I'm fine with that because I really like Mike Flanagan's movies. So uh, this is a, this is a pretty good match um, uh, for a while. Josh Boone was trying to make this and he eventually gave up and he's actually doing the stand reboot for CBS all access. So he moved on to another Stephen King project, but uh, Mike Flanagan is now handling this. And what is this story about? So it's kind of like a riff on Frankenstein, but uh, not like, uh, you know, an exact you know, recreation of that. Um, It's, it's about, it spans a bunch of years and it's about this, this guy, when he's a kid, he meets this very young preacher and uh, the preacher seems like a really nice guy, but uh, the preacher's wife and son are killed in this horrible car accident. And it sort of like sends him over the deep end and he he becomes like a, a carnival Barker who's traveling the world with like miracle cures, but it turns out the miracle cures really work and they use uh, electricity and it's, it's a little convoluted, but it ultimately leads to uh, this preacher trying to do an experiment that uh, opens the, the door into the afterlife to see what's, you know, waiting beyond there. Cause he wants to see what happened to his wife and son when they died. And uh, spoiler alert, since this is a Stephen King story, uh, things don't turn out very well and scary <laughs> stuff happens, but I, it's um, I, I really dig this story. Um, it, it's a, it's kind of a weird book because for a large chunk of the book, like the first, if you want to say it has three acts, the first two acts are really not like a horror book at all. They're kind of just like a drama. And then the third act just goes like full blown 
supernatural horror and it kind of makes it like extra creepy because you've spent so much of the book dealing with like normal down-to-earth stuff and then all of a sudden it turns into this really nightmarish thing which uh works really well so i'm pretty excited to see how this turns out by the way when you mentioned this book and i didn't recognize that i was like you know how many books has stephen king king written what would you say chris Oh God! I mean, it's got to be at least like fifty plus fifty something, fifty six. I want to say. Brad, what do you think? I'm going to say seventy two. Okay, so I put this question into Google, and you know how Google has like the answer at the top sometimes. When yeah. I've never seen this before, the answer is not a number. <laughs> it said at least ninety eight. Wow. Wow. <laughs> now. now the que- the interesting thing here is then the first entry after that number is to Stephen King's bi- bibliography on Wikipedia, and according to that, it says sixty three novels, including seven under a pen name and five nonfiction books. I wonder if they're counting short stories. Yeah, it sounds like yeah. what they're probably doing. That's a lot, is the answer. <laughs> yeah, a lot. But I, I thought it was weird that that uh, Google had you know a number, not a number, but at least a number. Yeah. Well, he probably wrote like three more while we were talking about this, so they'll be they'll be published soon. Yeah. Okay. Uh, that does it for today's Slash Film Daily. You can find more of all of our work at SlashFilm.com. You can find links to the stories we mentioned on today's podcast linked in the show notes. You can find this podcast on iTunes, Google, Overcast, Spotify. Send us your feedback, questions, comments, concerns to us at p- peter at SlashFilm.com. And rate and read this podcast on iTunes. Tell your friends. Spread the word. And we will see you on Wednesday.